It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, July 12th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Between 1942 and 1945, tens of thousands of Americans were rounded up and held in concentration camps. Fast forward eight decades, and students at a Tulare High School are spearheading efforts to create a memorial to Japanese Americans held at the city's fairgrounds during World War II. A closer look up ahead on the California Report. We'll have your local news and weather coming up. For those who don't have econ degrees or finance backgrounds, KVMR's Paul Emery and Gary Zimmerman are here to make sense of all things numbers with the Economic Report. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. The Washburn Fire in Yosemite National Park has grown to more than 2,700 acres, and it's producing extreme heat, causing huge plumes of smoke in the area. At a community meeting last night, fire officials remained hopeful that they could protect a grove of giant sequoias. Fire crews say they're holding a line around the Mariposa Grove with close to 700 people assigned to this wildfire. An evacuation order remains in effect in the nearby community of Wawona. In other fire-related news, you know those once-pricey drones that are now widely available? Well, they are causing headaches for firefighters. KCRW's Matt Gillum reports. If just one drone enters an area where firefighters are using aircraft to battle a blaze, the whole aerial operation has to grind to a halt. That single drone can keep a jetliner loaded with retardant out of the sky for hours and allow flames to spread unchecked. A new partnership between L.A. County Fire and the FBI looks to deter drone flights that could hamper fire suppression efforts. Detection equipment allows authorities to set up a perimeter and be informed the moment a drone enters the area. Once the device enters the no-fly zone, officials know how high it is, how fast it's going, and where the operator is standing. Teams are on standby to immediately intercept the controller. When the team makes contact with the drone operator, they're informed that it's a federal felony to fly the device during a wildland fire. Officials say operators can be divided into three basic categories, clueless, careless, or criminal. L.A. County Fire and the FBI plan to expand the drone deterrence effort across the region. For the California Report, I'm Matt Gillum. Support for the California Report comes from the Wesley Foundation, investing in California's underserved youth. Paint Care, now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Students at Mission Oak High School in Tulare are spearheading efforts to create a memorial at the Tulare County Fairgrounds. It's to honor thousands of Japanese Americans who were forcibly held there during World War II. KVPR's Joshua Yeager has the story. Senior Kimberly Tikshira had no idea that the Tulare County Fairgrounds served as one of the country's 10 assembly centers, the first stop for many Japanese Americans who were sent to concentration camps. It was really eye-opening. It was crazy. It put it more at home and made it more real. So before it was just a story, and now it's more history. It's a chapter of history that is often overlooked, says cultural history teacher Michael Paul Mendoza. These students are among a class that learned about this history all this year, for a good part of the school year, and were inspired to bring this history, you know, back to the forefront 
you know, out of the shadows, so to speak, because it's not something that's taught widely uh, in American history. While Fresno and other fairgrounds that served as assembly centers have memorials that recognize their historical significance, Tulare's does not. Here's Mission Oak graduate Raven Borges. Kids, when they come here, I want them to know, you know, as, as little as it is to look at a monument, and, you know, of course, kids maybe not won't understand it fully, but they can look and then they can ask their parents, oh, what was this? And it's just like a continuing learning experience for people. The class plans to work with survivors and their relatives to design a memorial that the 100,000 plus annual visitors to the fairgrounds will be able to see. Dina Rosardo, the fair's CEO since 2020, says until the students started their project, she didn't know much about the history of the grounds. I'm not from here, so the kids educated me from being an out of town, but I also think there are people from here that don't realize the history, you know, just the history of it being an internment camp. That was a time when United States didn't trust us because we were Japanese. That's Alice Ishinaga Nanamura. We were on the West Coast. They thought maybe we were sending uh, messages to Japan. So that is why everybody on the West Coast had to leave. So uh, we were not very happy about that. Ishinaga Nanamura's family ran a successful restaurant in Tulare before they were ordered to go to the Fresno Assembly Center in May 1942. She was just 11 years old at the time. She described the cramped and dirty conditions within the camps. It was just barrack after barracks after barracks. Twelve family members lived in just two rooms. They enlisted a neighbor to watch their car and home, but no one could bring them supplies or visit them inside the center. That was a bad part because you couldn't buy anything. Uh, you had no money, you know. So that was a hard part for, for my parents. But they survived. They really survived. From there, they were sent to a camp in Jerome, Arkansas. They returned to Tulare three years later in 1945. Um, I would like to welcome you to our very special program today. Last week, Ishinaga Nanamura told her story on a panel at the Tulare History Museum. More than 150 people filled the museum to hear first-hand accounts of life in the Valley's assembly centers. My dad, he came home and, um, and told us to go ahead and get everything all settled, put things away, because we're going to have to leave. Fair officials hope the memorial will be unveiled within the next two years. Once again, that was Joshua Yeager from my former radio home base, KVPR. And finally, the largest nation traveling Black Rodeo is headed to Southern California after spending this past weekend in the Bay Area for its 38th year. KQED reporter Annalise Finney spoke with a cowboy who is participating for the first time. At the Rowell Ranch in Castro Valley, hundreds of people sit on bleachers circled around the rodeo arena watching cowboys and cowgirls ride bucking horses and lasso baby cows. Standing by his horse trailer is 32-year-old Corey Elliott, dressed in the uniform of the Buffalo Soldiers, including a navy jacket with gold buttons. Elliott grew up in Richmond, but he learned how to ride horses from his uncle in the Pacific Northwest. When we were children, like, I mean, probably four or so, five, he had, like, a beautiful white horse. He used to keep horses in their backyard in Seattle. His family is part of the Buffalo Soldiers of Seattle, a group that honors the legacy of the first black cavalry units in the U.S. military. His cousin, Jordan Newbill, is now the president. Newbill says in the Bay Area, black cowboy culture runs deep. 
It's a lot bigger down here than it is in Seattle. Our group is pretty much the only black cowboys that you're going to find up in Seattle. Coming down here, personally for me, it's amazing because this is home away from home for me. Now it's Elliot's turn to take part in the rodeo. To be doing this first rodeo in the Bay Area and to be doing it with my family is something that I couldn't buy. The Bill Pickett Rodeo heads next weekend to Los Angeles. For the California Report, I'm Annalise Finney in Castro Valley. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, July 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Now let's take a look at today's regional news. The California Department of Public Health reports 156 new confirmed COVID-19 cases in Nevada County since last reported. Eight people are hospitalized, one is in the ICU. With the increase in significant fire activity and rising competition for national resources, comes the U.S. National Interagency Fire Center's elevation of the nation's wildfire response stages. Effective today, the national preparedness level has been increased to level 3. There are five preparedness levels, which range from 1 being the lowest to 5 being the highest. Level 3 typically involves multiple locations throughout the U.S. that require significant amounts of fire suppression resources from other areas. At this point, the National Interagency Coordination Center is moving increased amounts of wildfire resources around the country. Californians will soon be able to sue gun manufacturers if they experience harm from their products under a new law signed by Governor Gavin Newsom today. Assembly Bill 1594 specifically authorizes individuals, the California Attorney General, or city and county attorneys, to bring civil actions against firearms manufacturers, quote, for an act or omission in violation of the firearm industry standard of conduct. The law goes into effect July 1, 2023. This from the Sacramento Bee. Turning our attention to local weather and your air quality index. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight mostly clear with a low around 64. Wednesday, sunny skies with a high near 88. Current air quality is good with an AQI of 5. Wednesday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 45. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight partly cloudy with a low around 53. A slight chance of showers and thunderstorms between 11 p.m. and 2 a.m. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 81. Current air quality is moderate with an AQI of 69. Wednesday's air quality is good with a potential AQI of 36. The National Weather Service has issued a special weather statement due to the possibility of heat, smoke, and thunderstorms in the Truckee Tahoe region this week. An extended period of above normal temperatures is expected. Smoke from the Washburn Fire near Yosemite could impact areas of the eastern Sierra, Tahoe Basin, and western Nevada Sierra Front. Areas near and south of US-50 may see smoke this evening. There are chances for storms throughout the night and early into Wednesday morning. The biggest concerns with any storms are the gusts and erratic winds and dry lightning that may occur. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 60. Wednesday, sunny with a high near 92. Current air quality is good, with an AQI of 5. Wednesday's air quality is good, with a potential AQI of 37. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
Our financial interpreters are back. KVMR's Paul Emery and Gary Zimmerman are here with the latest edition of the Economic Report. This Economic Report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Well, Gary, let's start with the inflation rate. Uh, What is the expectation for the next round of uh, inflation estimates? And do you see any chance inflation will fall towards the Fed's 2% inflation goal that was uh, made in July? No, Paul, I don't expect to see the inflation rate tumble when the June inflation data are released over the next weeks. I think they'll pretty much be in the same ballpark on a year-over-year basis. I would expect inflation rates um, to remain elevated over on a year-over-year basis. Um, so you know, we'll probably see the consumer price index still in the range of 8 or 9% a year. Um, the personal consumption expenditure inflation or price index uh, probably in the five or six percent um, range of you know inflation over the past year. So I would expect that um, you know we'll see see that those year over year 2022 um, inflation numbers in June are going to remain elevated and and we'll we'll stay that way for a while probably at least through 2022. You also have increases in food and energy and gas prices. It looks to me like inflation must be way above eight percent. Well, Paul, you are right. Uh, The recent increases in gas, energy, food prices, and rent have been much faster over the past year than the overall measures of inflation. Uh, But the overall measure of inflation is including the prices of a typical basket of goods and services that we might purchase over a year, and not just the the food or energy prices. And, you know, we even know that, you know, oil prices have actually been down a little bit recently, uh, although that hasn't translated yet into lower um, gasoline prices. Um, So Paul Krugman article in the New York Times this week um, describing how when energy prices go up, Gasoline prices go up like a rocket when energy prices fall. Uh, gasoline prices fall like a feather. It takes time. Um, so, but I, I think for most of us, you know, we frequently buy food and energy, and so we're we're very well aware of you know how much and how fast those prices have risen, and how you know we're considering how that increased costs or those increased costs might affect our ability to spend on on other goods and services. You know, will they be affordable? We'll be you know, running out of cash before, you know, spending money before the end of the month. Um, so, you know, the overall inflation measures try and take into everything, you know, takes takes in everything that we purchase. Um, and that's that's why it's it's lower. I think if, uh, for example, um, energy prices over the past year have been rising at you know over a thirty percent over thirty percent annual rate, um, and you know that's that's a lot. Food I think is over seven percent increase, uh, and if we compare the the total or or just the core component of that, excluding of the personal consumption expenditure price index, that that would be excluding food and energy. You know those those numbers only increased you know, 5.2 percent. Um, so again, you know, the, the most rapid increases are in those, you know, food energy components, the ones that we watch all the time. Well, how about another inflation question? The 
war in Ukraine often is described as a key reason for much of the increase in energy costs uh, for this year, energy and food. Uh, since we produce, produce most of the food and energy we consume in the U.S., then why are prices being affected this much by the war in the Ukraine? Okay, Paul, that is a great question. Um, why should shortages of food and energy in Europe as a result of the Russian invasion of Ukraine drive up food and energy prices in the U.S.? And here I think we need to consider that energy markets and many basic food markets like grains are global in scope, not just national. So food and energy shortages in Europe, you know, limited energy coming from Russia now and uh, you know, Ukraine's grain supplies not being able to be exported, um, you know, these are both major producers globally, um, that will increase the price of food and energy across the global markets. And so if Europeans or others are desperate to get food and energy, they're going to be willing to pay higher prices and their demand will drive up the price around the world. And, you know, we're certainly seeing that happen in grain and energy markets now. Okay, let's talk about recession. Um, there is a lot of talk about the economy falling into a recession, and how do the strong job um, market numbers in June jive with the possibility of a recession? Well, Paul, <laughs> let me answer this in a couple of ways. First of all, a number of economists obviously have expressed concerns that the economy could fall into a recession, and that'd be a period where um, output produced begins to shrink at least through probably usually it's you know two taken as two quarters um and that could happen in 2022 or maybe even 2023 so you know why could that happen well in inflation is it will expect would be expected to affect consumer spending, uh, reducing households' purchasing power as they pay more for food and gas, and that is likely to slow the economy. Um, the Federal Reserve is expected to continue raising interest rates more quickly than was expected even a month ago, so there will be less monetary policy support. Um, that policy stimulated is, you know, like stimulus is likely to be ended by the end of year 2022. And that, you know, that should also slow future growth of the economy. And uh, we and policymakers still have to worry about the shocks and the slowing in the global economy and the risks associated with the ongoing economic and political disruptions arising from COVID and the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So there is a lot of um, that make things difficult. Okay, Gary, I hear that the Federal Reserve is aiming for a quote, um, good description or soft landing for the economy. Well, what does that mean? And can the Fed create a soft landing? <laughs> yes, Paul. Uh, Fed, Fed Chair Jay Powell has indicated the, the Fed is aiming to slow the economy to reduce the overall price level inflation. And its major to, tool, of course, to do that is to raise interest rates. Um, and markets today are anticipating the Fed will increase the overnight federal funds interest rate target by another three quarters of a percent in July and you know, continue to raise the short term interest rates to nearly three and a half percent by year in 2022. And those those higher interest rates will slow borrowing, spending and the economy. And, you know, if the, um, and some Fed policymakers like uh, St. Louis Fed President Bullard, you know, think that given the strength we've seen in the labor markets in recent months, the economy can slow down enough to bring down the inflationary pressures, but not slow down too much that it pushes the economy into a recession. You know, that that's clearly a very good outcome. It's not one that's always easy to uh, engineer for 
or a central bank or for the Fed. Uh, so it's a it's a challenge to to both you know slow the economy down so that it doesn't turn into a recession and um, also to slow down inflation. It's a it's a big big task. Well, these questions are a big task, Gary. I got to say, uh, uh, <laughs> but uh, I got one more for you. Uh, you mentioned the strength the labor markets have been showing in recent months. What do you mean by that? And is it expected to continue? Well, the Fed, you know, has already raised short-term interest rates noticeably from nearly zero to today they're in the one and a half to one and three quarters percent range. Um, and, you know, the economy is still adding a large number of jobs each month. Um, it added close to 400,000 jobs in April and May and then added another 372,000 jobs um, as announced last Friday uh, for the June number. You know, those are about double the average monthly increases during the recovery or the expansion between 2010 and 2019. So, you know, the unemployment rate has held steady at a very low 3.6%. Um, and now we have added back the 22 million jobs that were lost in the COVID 2020 recession. You know, that's impressive as well. Um, wages have been rising, you know, not not as fast as inflation, but around 5% annual rate. That's, a, you know, again, another sign of a strong labor market. Um, workers are switching jobs, you know, another positive indicator. Um, so if the economy continues to add jobs and that adds income as well, and that supports overall spending, uh, that should help s offset some of the negative effects of higher interest rates and higher inflation. Um, I think it's important that the Fed policy makers obviously need to act now to lower the overall inflation rate. And, you know, given the strength in the labor markets, you know, absent any other dramatic shocks to the global economy and the financial system, you know, the Fed may be able to slow inflation over the next couple of years and engineer a, a soft landing that doesn't drive the economy into a recession. It will be a challenge, but that is definitely would be good news for all of us. Okay, Gary. Well, thank you very much. And um, we'll see where what things look like in a couple of weeks. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Paul. Thank you. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Federal Reserve and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. A true KVMR legend has left us. Join us in remembering Mikhail Graham, an original member of the 1978 KVMR team. KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza pays tribute to the man who helped give us the gift of this community radio station. Needing a vacation? Tired of going to the same old places? Looking for something a bit unusual? Then come and join us on the other side. Today we learned that Mikhail Graham, who was on the original team that helped start KVMR back in 1978, has passed to the other side. Graham, 67, peacefully passed away at 1.35 a.m. Tuesday morning, surrounded by his loving caregivers. He had been diagnosed with genetic Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. An award-winning KVMR broadcaster for 44 years, Graham won the Bill Tuttle Lifetime Achievement Award in 2007 for longtime excellence in broadcasting and service to KVMR 
along with 2005 honors for The Other Side and for on-air spirit, spunk, and sensational creativity. In 2003, McHale was honored with both the Osborne Woods KVMR Community Service Award and a special Outstanding KVMR Program Involving the Community Award for his work on the 2002 Awakening Sunset to Sunrise Peace Vigil, a broadcast that was live for 12 hours on KVMR from the Miners Foundry and later documented with a four-CD anthology. Other KVMR shows included the Monthly Good News Show and the Beer Show that he co-hosted with Tom Daldorf. Graham also served on the KVMR Board of Directors, and in 2015 he was awarded the Digital Devotee Award for his diligent dedication to getting KVMR's archive up and running. A composer, performer, producer, and promoter of music based in Nevada City, with family roots dating back to 1851, McHale toured extensively throughout Europe, Japan, and the United States, oftentimes accompanying and assisting composer Terry Riley. Graham also worked as a producer and a mixing engineer for a diverse range of artists. In 1997, he produced and mixed folk legend U. Utah Phillips' CD, Loafer's Glory, which was nominated for a Naird Award. McHale worked as an evangelical personality and design consultant for a variety of music technology companies and was respected internationally as the co-founder of eMagic Incorporated, the original creators of Logic Pro, which is now owned by Apple Computers. The first, A Night of Giving, in support of Hospitality House, took place at Cooper's Nightclub early this century, while Graham was co-managing the club and producing a seven-night-a-week music lineup there for five years. Graham then produced A Night of Giving annually at the Miner's Foundry every December until the start of the pandemic, raising tens of thousands of dollars for Hospitality House and Utah's Place. We here at KVMR send our deepest sympathies to Mikhail's family, friends, and his beloved caregivers. That's our newscast for this Tuesday, July 12th. Head on over to our website at kvmr.org for the extended version of this week's economic report with Gary Zimmerman, or listen wherever you get your podcasts. kvmr.org is also where you'll find anything you may have missed in tonight's newscast. KVMR gets support from Sierra Theaters, featuring summer movies for kids every Tuesday morning at 10 a.m., playing at Del Oro Theater through July 26th. Upcoming shows and tickets available at sierratheaters.com. And Mal Paint and Glass, supplying Nevada County with paints, stains, and supplies since 1949. Offering custom color matching, airless paint sprayer rentals, and a full-service glass shop for residential and commercial projects. M-O-U-L-E, paintandglass.com. Keep it tuned to your community radio station. Join us at 6.30 as we air a special encore of The Sages Among Us with Mikhail Graham. Then at 7, we have Democracy Now! with host Amy Goodman. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Wednesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.